0: Last week, uh, we talked about uh, sort of the subtitle for last week's message was Learning to Prioritize Ministry. If you remember, the whole series is titled Led by the Spirit, and we're wanting to answer what does that mean? What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? Because Paul says really clearly in Romans chapter 8 that those that are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. In other words, one of the identifying characteristics of those that have been born into God's family, adopted into God's family, is that we're led by God's Spirit. He leads us, He empowers us, He shows us where we ought to go, what we ought to do, how we ought to think. And so we're we're wanting to see what does that look like, especially in relationship to what we call the gifts or the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And so if you haven't heard any of this series, some of the stuff that you hear tonight or today is going to be sort of, well, it's going to be incomplete, and I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to the rest of the series. In fact, one of the things that we plan to do is put this series on an MP3, and eventually we're going to have little gift bags for visitors in our church so they know what we're about, and we're going to put that MP3 in there, because for us, this is probably one of the the unique distinctives of Servants Church is how we deal with the work of the Spirit, how we want to pursue the work of the Spirit. What I mean by that is not that we are better than anybody else uh, or, or that we know things just right. It's just there's a, there's a kind of, a, I would say, a unique balance to what we're trying to pursue. On one hand, we're not wanting to say anything that is goes and is called Christian and by the Holy Spirit that we accept that. On the other hand, we want to be open to what God has shown in His Word He wants His people to be involved in. And so there's a unique kind of balance to us that we want to continue to pursue and practice. Now, last week we talked about I talked about two main points and in, in verse 1 we talked about that one of the priorities of the Holy Spirit is to produce love that manifests grace. And we talked about that reality, and if you guys were in house groups this week, we talked about what 1 Peter says, 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, and about how God has given every believer a gift, and in using that gift, what, what God intends is to manifest or make obvious, render apparent the grace of God. That God wants us to pursue love in such a way that His grace is seen. His initiating, His saving, His keeping, His empowering grace. Grace being uh, God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace being the fact that God gives us what we do not deserve, grace. And so we should love that way. We should pursue a kind of love, a kind of commitment to each other that actually manifests the grace of God. And then we talked about basically from verses 2 all the way to verse 25 that another priority of the Holy Spirit is communication that glorifies Jesus. Jesus. So whether it's, it's speaking in tongues with an interpretation, or it's, it's prophesying, or any other sort of vocal gift, that gift is meant to glorify Jesus. It should exalt Jesus, not the person who's using the gift. Does that make sense? And so there's a reality that that, that this, is, this is part of the priorities of the Holy Spirit. What, what God wants to do, the priorities for ministry. So that if we want to be a ministry, if we want to be a church that's empowered by the Spirit, that the Spirit of God is working in and among, we need to pursue His priorities. So we want to pursue love. We we want to pursue a love that manifests grace. We want to pursue the kind of communication that's glorifying Jesus, that's exalting Him and who He is and the work that He's done on our behalf. And so here's the third thing, and this is the thing we're going to talk about today. The priority of ministry, according to to what Paul's saying here, is an order that considers others. An order that considers others. Now, Paul starts off in verse 26 by saying, how is it, brethren? He asks this question. And he says, when you come together, each of you has psalm, teaching, tongue, revelation, interpretation. Now... Right off the bat, there are several ways we could look at this. It could be that the question mark should be after the word interpretation. As in, how is it that when you each come, you each have one of these things? It could be there. Or it also could be that what he's saying, how is it, brethren, you each come this way, and he's saying, is that really like a good idea? The thing that he he points out most clearly here in verse 27 is, let all things be done for edification. Now, this is one of Paul's favorite words in this section. Edification, edify. And it's really important that we get our head around what this means. What does it mean to edify somebody? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't just mean to make somebody feel good. And this is a really important thing. Because sometimes we look at edification and we think, well, what it means is like we say, we might even say, oh, I was edified. You know, it was really edifying. And what we might mean by that is, I just feel really good after we had that meeting or after I did this thing or spent, had this conversation. Now, that could mean you feel good because there was real biblical edification going on, or it could be you just feel good. That's not bad to feel good. It's good to feel good. Nothing wrong with feeling good, but edification is something specific that we're to pursue in a biblical st- from a biblical standpoint. I mentioned this in one of the earlier studies, but it's really important that we get our heads around this, especially in this section. To edify means to build up. You've heard the word edifice. It's another word for building, right? To edify means to build it, but specifically to build according to a plan. It has the idea that the architect has laid out a plan and we want to build accordingly. Now here's the great news for us as, as believers in Jesus. If you put your faith in Jesus, if you understand that it's His death that, that pays for your sin and His resurrection that, that guarantees your standing and righteousness with God, if you believe that, okay, then that means that you've been born again and God's Spirit is in you, by all that we can tell, And what that means is this, listen, it means God has made a promise to you. He said, here's your destiny, that he is going to conform you to the image of Christ. Isn't that awesome to know that God does have that kind of a plan for your life, a destiny for your life? He is going to make you like Jesus. Can you think of anybody better to be made like? And to edify, listen, means to be built up according to that plan. In other words, what's happening is God wants to, by His Spirit, through His people, help us to help one another be more like Jesus, to build us up according to that plan. So what Paul's saying here is he's saying, listen, when you come together... When you gather for a meeting, whether it's a house group or Sunday church or whatever the case might be, let all things be done through edification or for edification. Let it be done with that plan to see how can I help them and help myself become more like Jesus. That's the goal. It seems pretty duh, doesn't it? But how often do we come to church and we just think, I just want to feel better, I'm depressed which is okay. We, we hope if you're feeling depressed, you came here because you want help. Praise God. We hope you know that this is a place where you can get help. Or maybe you just think, I came here because my mom's going to be in my case if I don't show up to church on Sunday morning. And all the university students said, Amen. No, I'm teasing. There's a, but there's a reality, isn't that we can come for all kinds of other motives. than I want to come together with God's people, that God's people might be built up. Do you do you hear? This is also an other-centered thing. That you're coming, saying, "Okay, I want to come together to see what I can, what I can put in, what I can give, what I can do to build other people up." And this is the thing. God's calling us to listen. An order that promotes this kind of edification, and it means we come ready, we come together ready to give as well as receive. Now there are some people, and I, I'll put myself on this list, that have sometimes a hard time receiving. Maybe it's twenty-two years of ministry or something. I'm so used to going to the church and, and sort of like thinking, "I gotta give, gotta give." I have a hard time receiving. That's a, that's not a good thing. But often, if we're honest, most of the time we come to church to get, not to give. And really what God says, look, to come together, the first step of good order is to say, okay, Lord, I'm here. To, I want to I know how you want to want me to bless somebody. And to be open to what the Holy Spirit might lead you to do, whatever that is. I, I, I really believe, guys, that uh, this is the thing that keeps us from seeing the Holy Spirit move. This is what grieves the Spirit. What grieves the Spirit is how us as believers are so self-consumed. And I blame the church. I blame us as the church collectively. I, bring, I blame pastors to a degree because for too many years, too many pastors have preached a man-centered gospel. It's all about you. Jesus died because of you. You're so great. He God wants you. It's all about you. And it's a Jesus. It's, a, it's not a Jesus-centered gospel. It's a man-centered gospel. And in that man-centered gospel, we start thinking, oh yeah, it's about me. And so I'm looking for more self-improvement and more benefit for myself. Don't get me wrong, man. You're not going to find better improvement in yourself than getting saved and having the Holy Spirit set you apart. Don't get me wrong. No one's going to love you like God loves you, and there's no greater thing than knowing how much God loves you. When the Holy Spirit sheds the love of God in your heart, it's amazing, it's brilliant, it's a blessing. But it's not about you. Church is about us wanting to glorify Him. And we got to get that through our heads. We really do got to get that through our heads. See, this is one of the reasons why we get particular about little things. We get particular about wanting to make sure that we we keep exhorting our Sunday school teachers to prepare. You know, don't just kind of wing it when you get there. Prepare. We 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 want people that if ushers ushers can't be there to say, hey, I can't be there, and I found a a replacement, so that those needs get met. This is why the music team practices. This is why we ask guys to do setup or takedown, to, co- to keep that commitment. We, we want to do things well because we want to think about what we do and how that affects other people. You following me? We underestimate this little thing, but man, this is so crucial. I, I once did this thing with my youth group. We once had a pizza party, and uh, thankfully, one of the kids who went to our youth group, her dad owned like three Domino's pizzas, so we used to get pizza really cheap and we had this pizza party and so I ordered all this pizza and I, and I had it come in right right when the youth group was going to start and we stuck it in this table right in the middle of the room and it's like oh, the aroma of pepperonis wafting through the air you know. and these teenagers are like drooling they're so hungry like ma I said okay we're going to just wolf this pizza I'm going to give thanks but there's only one rule today one rule is this or actually two, there's two rules sorry there's two rules one is you cannot feed yourself and the other thing is, you cannot ask to be fed. So let's pray, and we'll eat the pizza. So we pray, give thanks for the food. I open up the boxes, and I'm like, okay, let's go for it. And they're looking at me like... And so finally a kid gets up and grabs a pizza, but, but they ah! You can't feed yourself. Man, <laughs> puts it down. In about four minutes, man, there were about 60 teenagers wanting to kill me. Ah, they were so frustrated, so frustrated. This is stupid. This is wrong. What are you doing this? Some even started throwing like Bible verses at me. You're called to love one another. You're not loving us. Come on! I mean, it was just like, it was bad. I have to admit, I was really enjoying it. I, I was. I was getting a sense of glee as they were getting so angry. It's not very nice, is it? But finally, 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 I saw. I saw one of the girls sort of the light bulb went on and she, she grabbed a piece of pizza and she sat down next to her, her friend who she knew and she started to feed her friend. And then everyone go, oh, light bulb. And all of a sudden, everyone's grabbing pizza and feeding each other, right? And they're laughing and they're having a good time and everything's fine. And it, I'll tell you what though, it was a killer scene. And, you know, it was just a beautiful scene of what it should be like every time we get together. Now, Let me be clear. When you come to church, there's nothing wrong with asking for help. I did that with that analogy, otherwise, you know, teenagers, they would have just said, you give me the pizza, then I'll give you the pizza, you know. But the the point is this. God calls us to come together with an others-centered mindset. That's what the Spirit of God prioritizes that we would have. In fact, he, He applies this now when it comes to tongues. He says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two Or at the most, three, notice, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church, and let him speak to God and to himself. So, what is Paul saying? He's saying, okay, uh, uh, connecting this order for edification, order that promotes edification. There needs to be then that tongues are limited, that they're interpreted, and that they're orderly. Now, God sets this tone. He sets this rule. Now, here's what's interesting. You look at the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit first is poured out on Pentecost. Was there just two or three people speaking in tongues? No. Did they all speak at the same time? Yes. In fact, you had 120 all praying in tongues at the same time. And you think, okay, what's the deal with that? You see, you go to, to um, Acts chapter 10, when the Holy Spirit uh, is poured out uh, on Cornelius' house. And the same sort of thing. People sort of all speaking at the same time. Now, why is Paul changing things here? A, a couple of things to understand. Number one, what God was doing specifically at Pentecost was showing the Jews that they had indeed rejected the Messiah. Remember, we talked about that last week, that the tongues and the interpretation that they were able to make themselves because they could hear the languages, that was the languages that they knew, that that was a testimony to them that they had, had actually not believed the message of the kingdom when the king himself came. They hadn't believed in Jesus, okay? So tongues were that sign to unbelievers. That's Acts 2. And Acts 10, listen, what's going on there is, remember, if you remember the story, God has to kind of almost force Peter to go share the gospel with Cornelius because he's a Gentile. He's got to give him this radical vision, you know, the sheet lowered from heaven three times. He has to send people to, to take him to where he's supposed to go, Caesarea Philippi. And then what happens is, when, when Peter goes and preaches the gospel to them, knowing that God's told me to do this, before he's done speaking, boom, the Holy Spirit falls, and they're all praising God, tongues, prophecy, and all kinds of stuff. What was that about? Well, that was about God wanting to prove to the church that he indeed wanted to save Gentiles. Because even the, the first believers were all Jews, and they couldn't see the kingdom going beyond Israel. You follow me? So there's a specific thing that God was doing. So now what happens is Paul does this. And this is why it's important to say, when we're trying to figure out faith and practice, was it taught by Jesus? Was it, was it practiced in the book of Acts? And was it taught by the apostles? If all three of those things are there, good practice. If all three of those things are not there, maybe not so good practice. So what happens is often is Paul or Peter or John will will sort of unpack how these things look because they're dealing with an error in a local church. That's why Corinthians was written. And so what happens is when Paul writes these things or when Peter writes things or when John writes things, they are taking and saying, here's what's normative. Here's what it should more look like. Does that make sense? And so what's happening here is Paul's being really clear. What's the norm in churches? He's saying, here's what I'm, I'm commanding you to do. Two or three speaking in tongues, each in turn and with an interpreter. So how would that look for us at Servants Church? How has it looked for us? I'll be honest, we've only had uh, someone speak in tongues. We have, there's many people here who have the gift of tongues. but We've only had people speak in tongues on a Sunday service, I think twice, to be honest. And then at, sometimes at men's meetings or something like that, we've had it happen as well. One of the reasons is because most people who pray in tongues or have that experience aren't used to, okay, how we do things. But I think how we do things is quite biblical. Because here's what we would do is if someone, say we're having a prayer meeting or open time of prayer and someone prays out in tongues, what we would do is we'd say, all right, praise God, let's wait for the interpretation. And we would wait and expect someone to bring forth an interpretation. Remember that interpretation as the tongue would be directed to God, we'd expect the interpretation to be directed to God. And we'd wait for that interpretation. If that interpretation didn't come, then we take it that, okay, there's no one here that has the gift of interpretation or the faith to step out in that gift. God doesn't want to use tongues in a public service. We don't come to the conclusion that tongues were wrong. We don't even come to the conclusion that the person who spoke in tongues was in the flesh. We don't even come to that conclusion. We just come to the conclusion, okay, for whatever reason, God doesn't want us to pray in tongues today, as far as the group gathering goes. Are you following me? This is how we see is the most plain, obvious way to practice these things in a public gathering. Now, we have had a time, in fact, this was a, a brilliant time, where at a men's meeting, I might have shared this before, forgive me if I'm repeating myself, but at a men's meeting, a brother had a gift of tongues, we were having a really good time of prayer, he prayed out in tongues, and the brother who was sitting next to me, who was a very good friend, and as a very good friend, we'd pray together many times, and he had a certain way of praying. You know, each of us kind of pray a certain way, you know what I'm saying by that? We have a kind of a certain tone or diction. It's just kind of, we got used to how we're praying. When he went to give the interpretation, it was not only God word, but it was not like him at all. <laughs> it was a totally different flow, a totally different diction, totally different words of praise than he would normally use in praying. It was beautiful. It was an interpretation. And we were all blessed by what he was praying. And we, we counted that as a work that God did. And we're thankful for it. Now, Paul is doing this, remember, because it's all about what's edifying And one of the things about tongues is, we we mentioned this last week, but it's really important that we get this through our heads. Tongues is not, it cannot be edifying to somebody who doesn't understand it. They might be encouraged that their friend has the gift of tongues, or they might be comforted by, okay, cool people speaking tongues in this church, because they're from that background. But they're actually it doesn't actually help them be conformed to the image of Christ. Do you understand that? That is what the Bible teaches. Does that mean it's evil if you hear a tongue and it's not interpreted? Absolutely not. It just means it's not leading to edification. And Paul's saying that the priority needs to be that which leads to edification. Now let's apply this quickly to just prayer in general. Because this is one of the questions that was asked to me in private. What about then us all praying at the same time? Many of you have probably been in churches where, uh, maybe the first part of the prayer meeting is everybody's praying out loud at the same time. Okay, what about that? Well, let me just say really clear for the record, there's nothing sinful about everybody praying at the same time. Uh, one of the, I think I mentioned again this last week, but one of the books that uh, we have our leaders read is a book called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. Amazing book. I recommend it to anybody about the priority of prayer in church. And uh, that church, uh, the pastor Jim Simbola, they have a prayer meeting. In fact, they measure the success of their church by their prayer meeting. They don't. When people say, how many people go to your church? They don't say, who attends Sunday morning? They say, who attends Tuesday night prayer meeting, which is about 2,000 people. And when they first start their prayer meeting, they have all the males come forward. As Paul said, I want the men in church to pray first. And all the men pray at the same time for about five minutes. That's what they do. And then they break up into other groups and they pray in different ways. Now I'm telling you that story, not because that's going to become the norm for us, but because that's a man I greatly respect. I think his stuff on prayer is solid, biblical, and these, those guys practice what they preach. However, even though there's nothing wrong with doing that, the reason we don't do that, or at least not as a normative practice, is because of what Paul does say here, that we want to pursue that which is for edification. And to be, for something to be edifying, you have to understand what's being said. That's the whole point. Now, it's hard to understand when everyone's talking at the same time. It doesn't mean it's bad. doesn't mean it can't happen. We even do it occasionally. It just means that's not the norm for us. All right? One of the things we we would rather do, in fact, this is one of the things we're going to be doing on Friday night at this week's big group, is we're going to break up into smaller groups, maybe two, three, four, and we're going to have what's called a concert of prayer, where we're going to uh, have either someone come forward or, or something on the screen that says, okay, here's something we really want to focus on in prayer. And let's pray for that, and everyone in their group prays together. That can even be difficult for people because they, they can hear everybody pray, and it's hard to concentrate. But at least you're with a, a small group, and you're listening to one another and saying Amen at their giving of thanks. Do you, you follow me? So practically, we even think about those kinds of things for those reasons. Now, he also though, deals with prophecy. He says in verse twenty-nine, "Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others judge." But if anyone, uh, if anything is re- revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For all, uh, for you can all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as he is in all the churches of the saints. Now, word for confusion there is actually a word that means disorder. Let me kind of unpack a couple of these things, okay? When it comes to tongues, tongues should be limited, interpreted, and orderly. When it comes to prophecy, listen, it needs to demonstrate several things. It also needs to be orderly. Paul says it should probably be limited to two or three, so the meeting doesn't go on too long. Can you imagine two or three guys preaching as long as I do? That would be bad. But he also says, listen, it should demonstrate, number one, accountability. When he says, let two or three speak and let the others judge, that means accountability. This is means, guys, listen, that when someone stands up and prophesies and says, I think I have a word for the church, or someone comes to you and says, I think I have a word from God for you, that they should not say, it's God's word, just accept it. They should say, this is, I think, a God's word for you, and then it needs to be tested. How is it tested? You take what they say, and you ask, first and foremost, is this biblical? Is this biblical? If someone comes to you and says, you know, I know you've had some marriage problems, and I just feel like the Lord's me to tell you it's okay to divorce your wife not only are they wrong, but they're, they're going to have words from me because <laughs> that's completely unbiblical. Do you see what I'm saying? Now, if someone comes to you and says, you know, this might sound strange, but I feel like God's saying to, to, to me that maybe you need to um, uh, take your wife uh, on a date ASAP. I know that might sound stupid, but I just feel like God wants me to encourage you in that. You might hear that and go, oh, wow, I was just praying this morning. Lord, is this really? Am I being off base on this, or, or what? Am I being the husband I need to be, or what? And you might go, okay, that was a word for me. Then I need to do this. You guys following me? So the first test of scripture. The second test is: has God already spoken to you about this thing? Okay. So the testing has to be there. So there should be an expectation to be tested. What I found is one of the reasons that or I found some people who get really annoyed with me when I teach this stuff is they say, you're not supposed to test the Lord. Yeah, you're right, but we're supposed to test you. (laughs) You should be testing me. This is why we say, do you need a Bible? Because you should have a Bible going, is this stuff accurate? Is he twisting the scripture here? You should test anybody. You see what I'm saying? Nobody's above error. So it's not that we, we want to despise the people that prophesy. Just the opposite. We're commanded, don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophecies. It's just that as we prophesy, as God moves us to speak a specific word to a specific person or people group at a specific time, we should be, expect there's gonna be testing. We should want that accountability. Amen? Also, what does he say? He says, this also, there should be an issue of humility. He says, if anyone, everything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. In other words, there should be a place in our gathering some way where the whole meeting isn't, isn't just kind of dictated by one person. There should be a, an openness, all right? So that especially like this is a good, good idea when it comes to house group, when we come together. When we're in house groups together, we, we want there to be, we want to we let the Lord speak through people. This is why I don't feel I'm very good at house groups, because in case you haven't noticed, I'm very verbose. I talk a lot. And it's not always good. So we really need to say, okay, Lord, we want to be open and and be humble enough to say God can speak through somebody else. There should be a humility when it comes to prophecy. Also, listen to this. He says, uh, the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. In other words, there should be an element of self-control. Now, all these things apply, not just to the, the ministry of prophecy, but really in a real sense to all gifts, in that there should be a humility, there should be an accountability, and there should be a self-control in as we exercise them. Now, this is one of the reasons why this kind of premise that Paul's saying that needs to be ordered in meetings is that we do not practice slain in the Spirit. How many of you guys do not know what slain in the Spirit, do not know what slaying in the Spirit is? Some of you guys don't know, just a few of you, okay. A practice of slaying the Spirit is the kind of stuff you might see on God channel where someone goes to pray with somebody and sort of touches their forehead and they fall down and they might fall on the, the ground on a convulsive. They might just lay or whatever the case might be. I am not saying that, that that has never been of God. I'm not saying there's no way I could say something like that. I'm not going to go around and meet every person and interview them and make sure that's of God. I'm not saying that. But what we don't see of that is a precedence in Scripture. We don't. So do I judge other churches and go, oh, they're wrong, they're off, stay away from them, they're the devil? No, I don't do that. But we also don't pursue that, because we don't see that's in Scripture. That might be shocking or controversial to you, but that's kind of where we come from. So we don't we do not do that. Um, I, and I'm not going to question your experience. If you come to me and say to me, hey, that happened, I know it was of God. I'm going, oh, that's cool, it's between you and the Lord. I'm not going to say, that can't be of God. I'm going to say, we're not going to pursue that, because we don't see it in Scripture. And the reason is, too, we also see that these kind of guidelines. If they're if if the gifts are supposed to be done in a way that's order orderly, so that there's an accountability and there's a uh, there's a humility and there's a self control, well then we should expect that's how the Holy Spirit's going to work. Uh, a good friend of mine is it was a, a like a head teacher of a small school, and uh, he had some students in his school that were. Uh, uh, from a, a particular church in his city, and uh, it was when the sort of a lot of this holy laughter stuff was going on. Some of you guys may know what that is. Some of you guys may not know what that is, but it was basically a time when when people felt that the Holy Spirit was bringing them into what they thought was overwhelming joy. They couldn't help; it, they would just laugh uncontrollably. And these students came in. They were from a church that was pursuing these kind of manifestations. And these, this church came in, or these students came in, and they were doing this like during class. Like this was happening in class. And the teacher's like, okay, that's enough. You need to stop. That's enough. And they wouldn't stop. And so they, he called the principal. The principal took them outside and said, girls, what are you, because he was a Christian. He knew they were Christians. What are you doing? And they're like, ha, ah. And then they, they, he said, listen to me. What are you doing? They started crying. We can't stop. We don't to do. We can't stop. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit. Again, I'm not going to say that if someone's been overwhelmed with joy and laughed, felt like they almost can't control themselves, that it never can be of God. But I am saying, if you are told to stop and you cannot, that is not the Holy Spirit. You do not see that in Scripture. That is not how God moves. So again, am I saying that the churches who do those things are apostate churches or are churches that God doesn't save people? No, I'm not judging everyone's experience. I'm saying we don't pursue that for those reasons. See, you thought you were going to get to this series and no one's going to be offended. Well, here it comes, right? Now, he also says, listen, he, he goes from talking about an order that promotes edification to an order that honors authority. And again, this is going to be <laughs> maybe a little hard to swallow for some of you guys. Paul says, let your women be keep silent in the church for they are not permitted to speak but they are to be submissive as the law also says if they want to learn something let them ask their husbands at home for it's shameful for women uh, to speak in church now there are some churches not very many anymore but there are some churches that would say This means a woman shouldn't pray out loud. I I know of uh, one of my pastor friends, he had a guy come to his church from one of these kinds of churches and they had a prayer meeting and a woman was praying to God and then after she prayed, uh, uh, this man repeated everything she said word for word. And he said, what's the deal with that? He says, well, you know, she shouldn't talk so I'm making sure God hears her prayers. (laughs) Yeah, you can laugh, it's ridiculous. Now, let's be really clear about the context. 1 Corinthians 11, you can look it up later. Paul makes it clear that women prophesy in public. So it's, he's not saying that women should never make any noises during a service. Women prophesy. Women have a gift of teaching. Women speak in tongues. What he's talking about here, his order. Now, let me say two things. One, in this church, this is a whole other Bible study, but still connects in in 1 Timothy 5, or I'm sorry, is it 1 Timothy 3? In Timothy, Timothy talks about, uh, or Paul talks about a similar thing to Timothy saying, that uh, let not a woman teach or have authority over a man. Now, here's what we, we believe how that applies. He says it pretty clearly. He uses Bible to back it up, okay? We believe what that applies is, is that a woman is never to have authority over a man in church, which is one of the reasons why when the guys, the the, the teenagers start getting, or the Youth group starts getting to where they're not little kids anymore, but they're becoming into men. We want to have men start teaching those guys. We feel like that's that's where we make that transition. It means that we wouldn't have a woman take the pulpit on a Sunday morning. We wouldn't do that. Because we feel like that's an order that goes outside of the scripture. It doesn't mean that as men, we don't learn from women. Don't be a chauvinist pig. God speaks through women. God prophesies through women. So don't have a mindset as a guy that says, woman, silent. Because that's not biblical. We do believe though, there's order. And so as long as I'm one of the pastors, we won't have women who are pastors. Well, women who are deacons, that's a different issue. But not women who are pastors. Again, I told you someone might get offended, but I think this is pretty clear in Scripture. When he talks about let their, let their, uh, let them learn something, if they want to learn something, let them ask their, their husbands at home, probably this is a reference to the fact of how they set up church back then. He had kind of women on this side, men on this side, wife hears something, doesn't really get it. Remember, most women then weren't literate, so they were dependent upon what they heard to learn. They didn't understand what was going on, so they're like, honey, what's he on about? What's this about? That would disrupt the service, wouldn't it? So it's probably something like that. But there's another underlying thing here to you who are husbands or men who want to be husbands. You think it might be your responsibility to make sure that your wives understand good doctrine? Because that's what I see right here. It doesn't mean that you have to preach at them. I've tried that. It's a bad system. (laughs) It does mean that you want to guide them, encourage them, even lovingly correct them if they get doctrine wrong. Sarah and I have lots of doctrinal discussions. Usually with me uh, having to say, babe, wait, babe, wait, babe, wait, because her saying, why does that matter? Why does this matter? I'm so glad she talks to me about it. There's the, there's an order, and this is what it is: an order that orders uh, an order that honors authority, which means the authority of the home. Ladies, let me say, if I tell you to do something, your husband tells you to do something different. Listen to your husband. Now, if God tells you to do something according to Scripture, that's clear that you have to do in Scripture. And your husband's telling you to do something, we'll ask for prayer and we'll try to give you some wisdom about how you deal with that. But if, you know, you need to obey your own husbands. You need to let them lead your home. Well, I don't lead your home. I'm not your husband. If you want information, talk to your, talk to them. You say, what if my husband's not a believer? I'd still say if it's not uh, something that's clearly like scriptural, in other words, it's not something like you're going, you know, to your non-Christian husband, can you explain sanctification to me? Obviously, that's not going to work. But you know what? Ask for their wisdom. Honor their authority and see what God does with that. But there's an order and there should be an order in the church that reflects that. All right? There should be an order in the church that reflects that. We've had many cases, not just in this church, but in churches that I've been involved in in the States where Um. Uh a woman was really growing in the Lord, really growing in the Lord, and she was doing great. And her husband's just really lagging behind, to be honest, just not stepping it up. And it was frustrating because we wanted to see this woman be used more, but we felt like there was a block. And so what we've done in those cases is just to encourage those ladies, that you know what, you're being faithful and your reward's in heaven. You're not going to get any less reward from the Lord for your faithfulness just because your husband's maybe not doing what he's supposed to be doing. And to go to the husband's and say, hey, can we get your perspective How come you seem to be kind of lagging behind what's going on? But we would not see them move forward as a couple unless the husband was stepping it up. Again, that might seem a bit extreme, might seem a bit old-fashioned, but I think it's biblical because God calls us to an order that honors the home. We're going to see in Genesis in a few weeks, the home, not the church, is the the first organization, the first structure that God establishes, the home. Now, he goes on to say, listen, uh, verse 36, he says, Or did the Word of God come originally from, from you? That's sarcasm, in case you didn't recognize it. He's mocking them. In fact, he goes on to say, right, if anyone pro- uh, thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, or that means someone who's under the influence of the Holy Spirit, is the idea. If someone says, Hey, I'm under the Spirit, I'm, I'm a prophet, well, let him acknowledge that the things that are right to you are the commandments of the Lord. Do you remember when we talked about this on the authority of Scripture? Paul's basically saying what I say is true. Gospel true must be obeyed, authoritative. So what's this talking about? An order that that honors the authority of Scripture. That's what we're talking about these things. Let me be really clear. I'm almost done. We're not wanting to stop things from happening. We're wanting to pursue an order that encourages things to happen, that encourages God to do what he wants to do. Order doesn't limit us; order protects us. It keeps us in the place that we're supposed to be. God is a God of order, and He's saying you need to order. You need to honor that the Scriptures as well. He says, if anyone is ignorant, in verse thirty-eight, let him be ignorant or let him be literally ignored. In other words, if someone goes, "No, I don't, I don't agree." That's fine. You don't have to agree. We're still going to do it this way here. Now. He ends with this. He says, listen, therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy. Do you see this? He's not saying, therefore, shut up and let the preacher do his work. He's not saying that. He's saying, therefore, because there is this order that honors the family, that honors the scripture, that promotes edification, desire to prophesy. Pursue love, desire the work of the Spirit, especially that you might prophesy, to say that good word in due season. Want that, desire that. He says, and don't forbid to speak with tongues. We're not going to forbid to speak with tongues. I've had people that have come to the church that have felt like they were burned by by charismatic churches and they're like, please don't get into that tongue-speaking stuff. I'm sorry, John, I love you, love the church, but I'm out of here if you get into that tongue-speaking stuff. Well, that's your issue with the Lord because God says don't forbid to speak in tongues. We're not going to forbid tongues as long as it's done decently in order, one at a time with interpreter. Do you understand? But above all things, verse 40 Let all things be done decently and in order.